Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey yo, Mike check one two one two. It's DJ D Nice, and I'm rocking with Double E in a Esco with the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hi, I'm L Perry with the Daily Memphian, and I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on a Verbally Effective Podcast. What's good? This is Brent Hooks, and I'm verbally effective because I'm a millennial entrepreneur who has found some success and some low points in my life, but I have experiences to share. I'm the co-owner of All World Project Management, and I've had the opportunity to kick it with Ina Esco this morning. Native Memphian Brent Hooks is a 30-year-old entrepreneur. As the oldest of three, his leadership journey began at an early age. Coming from a family filled with civic-minded entrepreneurs and educators, their guidance and experiences fueled many of his endeavors. Brent has personally been recognized by the Greater Memphis Chamber of Commerce as a top young Memphian and Memphis Business Journal's top 40 under 40 in 2016 and 2017, respectively. Although Brent has small startup companies like All World Media Group and Henry and Robert Investments in his repertoire, his most notable venture is being a co-owner of All World Project Management, a civil engineering and construction management firm where he serves as the chief administrative officer. All World has been recognized by several organizations locally, but recently was recognized by the Inc. 5,000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America. The company operates in Tennessee, Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas, and Alabama. In 2018, Mayor Lee Harris appointed Brent as a board member to Shelby County City of Memphis Film and TV Commission, on which he still actively participates. His entertainment efforts don't end there. Brent has partnered with a few of the city's top millennial promoters and curated several events, which include concerts and epic social mixers. Currently, the young executive also is a board member and vice president of administration for the 100 Black Men of Memphis. Additionally, he is on St. Jude's Spirit of the Dream Advisory Board. He has been active on this committee for the last three years, but this year the board was able to raise over $150,000 for young cancer patients. He has served as a YMCA board member and financial chair. As financial chair, the young capitalist was very excited when the Davis YMCA was able to exceed their annual fundraising goal for the first time. Brent also served as a board member on the Benjamin Hooks Institute for Social Change.
Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to the Verbally Effective podcast. Be sure to download, follow, and subscribe to the podcast on all streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, CastBox, wherever you get your podcast, you can definitely download the Verbally Effective podcast. Today, I have with me the co-owner of All World Project Management. He's a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. He is the two. He also participated in a 2016 millennial voting campaign drive. Um, he's also the vice president of the 100 Black Men of Memphis, also noted as the Memphis Business Journal Top 40 Under 40. And those are just a few of his accolades. I have with me Mr. Brent Hooks on the line. What's up, Brent? How are you today? Good morning. What's good, Ina? Super excited this morning to talk with you and chop it up and see, you know, how well I'm verbally effective. Well, uh, Brent, I've been knowing you for quite some time, and I already know that you're going to do well today. You're very verbally effective. So, you know, I got you on the pod. Finally, uh, we've even partnered in, you know, numerous uh, projects together. And I'm so glad that you're able to join me on the podcast today. But we're going to start at the beginning, Brent. What part of Memphis are you from? So I'm born and raised in the heart of East Memphis, but honestly, my heart belongs to all of Memphis. I, I'm a, a Memphian, native Memphian. Uh, I graduated from Germantown High School, but I also uh, spent half of my high school years at MUS. So I had a diverse high school experience and, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. I've been able to make a lot of friends uh, through a number of activities. Uh, my church home is actually in the heart of South Memphis and my Mom and grandmother have owned businesses in Whitehaven for over 30 years. So I've spent my time in different pockets of Memphis, which has allowed me to basically have a, a, a diverse perspective on how I view the city. Right, right. So growing up in all these parts of Memphis and having such, you know, a diverse background, Brent, you know, what kind of activities were you heavily involved in growing up in Memphis and attending school? What did you participate in? Uh, so mainly I tried to focus on sports. Uh, I played basketball, football, track, every, every sport that was out there. I uh, I tried to do, I was in Kappa League in high school and, you know, just basically was uh, socially and civically minded. So I also participated in the uh, NAACP, the youth version of the NAACP. And my parents always encouraged me to basically be involved in more than just sports, even though that's what I like the most. Uh, so they, you know, pushed me to do some academic things as far as making sure that I was in science fairs and stuff like that, you know, church, just normal, typical kid stuff. I don't, I don't think I did anything extraordinary as a kid. <laughs> just, uh, you know, just those experiences. Actually, I really praise my mom for encouraging me to do all those different things, uh, like participating in the, uh, the cotillion and all, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, it's, I mean, both of uh, but, you know, all, all of those things have really shaped my experience, but also allowed me to be comfortable in situations that I do. I, I think that as we, I have a little daughter, she's seven, mm -hmm. and I'm encouraging her to 
basically participate in a bunch of different things. That way you won't be afraid to be thrown in a situation and, and uh, you know, be nervous. Or well, you might still be nervous, but at least you'll be a little bit more comfortable and not so uh, unassuming and, and, and worried about what the outcome is going to be. It allows you to be able to make friends faster and all those type of activities. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We've got to put these kids out there in different settings, right? I yep. agree with that. Um, so, Brent, when you graduated from Germantown High School, what happened next for you? So when I graduated Germantown, what happened? I, I, I went to CBU my first year. I was a major, of uh, engineering major, biochemical engineering major. I was like, man, I don't know what I need to do, but my parents really encouraged me to uh, look at fields that were heavy in science and math because that was what I was best in. Uh, so I went into biochemical engineering at CBU. Hated it. It was not my thing. My like so my my family. I have numerous family members who were in the business and entrepreneurial realm. So I uh, took affinity to that a little bit more. So the next year I switched schools and went to went to Knoxville. Switched my major to accounting. And really hadn't looked back since. I, I, I switched to accounting just due to the fact that I was thinking. What could I do that would benefit any business? And I was like, well, if I can speak the language of business, I, I, you know, I can get that through accounting and I'll be useful, uh, throughout, throughout my life. And I, I found it to be a good decision just for the simple fact that people ask me questions about business and I've been able to just articulate just and understand and analyze and all those different things about just the business realm. And I like it a lot more. I get to interface with a lot of people. My goal initially when I switched to accounting was to uh, be a consultant. I want to consult small to medium-sized businesses uh, and, and help them grow. Mm-hmm. And and that's really uh, how I uh, started with our world. My, my cousin and my business partner, Mike, I look at him as a mentor as well. I told him that goal, and he was like, I, I got something for you. Yeah. And uh, so I, I went to I went to CBU, majoring in biochemical engineering, switched schools, switched majors, went to Knox, UT Knox. Went there for a year, but I was super broke because I was working at um, Kroger. I hated that job. You I was working at, at Kroger. Kroger. Okay. Bagging, bagging groceries. Yeah. I was like, all right. <laughs> so I, I, could, I couldn't deal. I was a sophomore in college, and I mean, like my my parents, they sent me a little something, but they was like, "You gotta get it how you live." So, mm. uh, so I came back to Memphis. I was like, "All right, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna come back to Memphis and go back to working how I was working." So my uncle actually, while I was in college, he owned and high school. He owned one of the biggest clubs, one of the biggest nightclubs in Memphis, and I found that to be more along my lines because I could work one day and get more money than I get working a whole week at Kroger. So the Plush Club. Uh, what? My, the Plush? Yeah, so, I remember the Plush Club. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. Uh, you know, I got burnt out on going to the club because I used to work in it, so I never used to want to go out. Uh, I was like, man, I got to go to work. So I, my whole mindset about even going to the club was warped at a young age just because I had to go so much. I was able to learn a lot during that time period as well. So uh, that kind of introduced me to the entertainment world because the the club actually had quite a few 
artists that came in and it was like as far as I know like size wise it was the biggest club in Memphis mm-hmm. and I've been to several clubs so it was cool it's demolished now but it was some good good times uh, being a, a 17 year old through 20 I guess 17 through 20 I was doing that and uh, so I came back to Memphis went to uh, University of Memphis I um, picked up a minor I picked up a minor in finance. So I, my degree is in accounting with a minor in finance. And I used those skills at the club. And then, like, even during college, it was kind of weird. I took a period where I was still in school at University of Memphis, but I went to go live in New Orleans for two years. So wow. from 20 to 21, I lived, uh, for, for those two years, when I was 20 and 21, I lived in New Orleans. The first year was amazing. Because the the uh, Saints won the Super Bowl in New Orleans, I always will have a, a special place in my heart. Mm. Just because it was such a vibe, you know. If you, I know you've been down there, but yeah, like Essence Fest, yeah. Jazz Fest. I mean, it's just a a cool place where uh, you get to experience just a different lifestyle. They their their whole vibe is is not the same as Memphis. It's not the same as anywhere I've ever been. It's, it's, it's quite a place. Uh, with the second line and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Mardi Gras, all those activities just were amazing. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed being down there. I love going back and visiting and just seeing where I lived and, you know, just reminiscing on what I did during that time period. So I managed the tax company for two years and then uh, came back, like graduated that next semester. And, uh, oh yeah, so I work at, uh, CPA firm. So, like I said in the beginning, I really thought I was going to be uh, a consultant, which I slick am now, but uh, I really thought I was going to be a consultant. And I uh, wanted to help smaller, medium-sized businesses. So, I, I, I said, I, I'm not going to take any more jobs outside of um, of accounting or finance or anything like that because initially when I came back from uh, from New Orleans, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity to save money because that was basically the most money I've ever made in my life doing, well, not in my life, but at that time period in my life, uh, just managing their tax company. So I was able to save, but then after a while, uh, I was like, man, I got to find something to do. So I literally started driving around to CPA firms all across the city. Like, my mom and other folks in my life, they were like, man, you need to find a job wherever. You can go up to Starbucks and get you a job, go to Walmart, go to McDonald's. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I need to find something that's in my field so I make sure that I'm continuing to develop my skills. So I, I went to at least five or six accounting firms and just asking for an internship. And I ended up taking a free internship. Like, I was so dedicated to making sure that I was doing something in my field, which I find that rare. People wouldn't do that these days, I think, uh, because I soon they just want to get paid, which I understand. But I took a free internship at Bridge Builders because I was a bridge builder in high school as well. I was like, all right, let me let me go over here and try to do this for a while. So for that whole next semester, I worked for free. Didn't have no money, couldn't barely get haircuts. It was a tough time, but... I enjoyed it because I was able to learn uh, a little bit more about accounting. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept working. Uh, I even went to, like, some black-owned firms. I was like, look, 
I just need an intern and shit. But at the time, they really didn't, they didn't have anything available. So that's how I ended up taking the thing at Bridge Builders. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, like just during that time period, which I encourage anybody listening, anybody thinking about getting an internship, any young professionals, any college students, build a relationship with your career center at your school. Because that's what I did. I, I, I ended up building a relationship with the lady who sat at the front desk, which I'm really good at. Like if I if I feel like I need to, uh, you know, continue to to grow in a certain space, I try to develop relationships with the people who can, and not not just a pretentious type relationship, but a relationship where it's genuine. And she like I liked her. She was a yeah, I asked about the kids, how how she doing, how she been. She asked about my family uh, and see how they're doing. And she literally sent me a uh position at the largest regional CPA firm in the Southeast region called wow. Dixon Hughes and Goodman. And that man, that experience pretty much was the lunch pad for everything else I've been doing. Uh, and I mean, I just was blessed with that experience and just blessed meeting that lady. I honestly do not remember her name now, but at the time, like, cause that was at least 10 years ago, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and she really, really blessed me. So she sent me that opportunity. I went over to Dixon Hughes and Goodman. I, uh, I was an intern making $11 an hour. I'm telling you, I was just happy because I was working doing free. It. Yeah, $11, ooh, $11, I was too happy. Uh, so, for those next three months, and it, like, the whole experience is crazy, because first of all, I'm thinking it was a, uh, uh, about to go to an interview. No. Like, I went over there with my now wife, uh, my, she's my girlfriend at the time. We both went over there just, so she was in the lobby. I was about to get interviewed. A lady named Miss Phyllis came out, a black lady, super cool. She was like, uh, you ready? I'm like, yeah. So she brought us back. She said, who is it? I said, oh, this is my girlfriend. She was like, oh, she can come on too. I'm like, what? I have never been in an interview. <laughs> so both of us sit in there, and it wasn't even an interview. She said, when can you start? I said, tomorrow? She was like, she just expressed, like, she said, look, I looked over your resume. Uh, you seem like a nice kid. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And, uh, of course, the firm was predominantly white, mm. and uh, it was very limited diversity. So I really feel like she just saw a young black kid trying to do something different and said, I'm going to give him a shot. And when she gave me that shot, I was there for three months. And wow. before before I uh, transitioned in that role. And what I did was every day I, I walked around and talked to every single partner of the firm and said, hey, so why did you pick tax accounting? What do you, like, why did you do that? And then I talked to some other partners. Why'd you pick audit? Because tax and audit are primarily the two main functions of a CPA at a CPA firm, so mm-hmm. or consulting. And uh, you know, they gave me their feedback and their experiences. And then after those three months, they totally changed my role. They 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 uh they said, Look, Brent, we like you. We're gonna send you over here to Pfizer on this consulting job. And I'm, mind you, I'm still in college. I was not, I hadn't graduated, nothing. I was still in college. Um, and they said, we're gonna send you over here on this consulting job. Uh, you're gonna be at Pfizer, which at the time, Pfizer was the largest pharmaceutical company in the world. Yeah. And what they were doing, they were, uh, basically consolidating a portion of their business so they can sell it off. 
Mm. And then they were also migrating from one information system to another. I don't know if you're familiar with Oracle. Yeah. But they had Oracle, and they switched from Oracle to a system called SAP. Yeah. It's, both of them are kind of like accounting and enterprise systems to manage their whole operation. So mm-hmm. I got to learn from both of those two experiences. And then when the partner brought me, when he brought me in and asked me about, uh, you know, was I willing to take the opportunity? I was like, yeah. And he was looking at me kind of weird. He was like, mm-hmm. so you're not going to a- ask me about the, the pay? I'm like, I get paid $11 an hour. What am going to ask you about? He was like, well, cool. I'm going to take the, the other part of your check, dude. Because he was like, your your new pay is $25 an hour. I was Whoa. like, what? <laughs> so, I, like, I'm literally in college making $25 an hour working 40 hours a week. So you can do the math on yeah. that. And I, I am, like, not graduating, no degree, none of that. Like, and I was like, man, this is crazy. And then, man, I ended up seeing my cousin, Mike, at a basketball game, a grizzly game. I had been working there for a year. He was like, so uh, what you been doing? Like I told you, I, I told him about my dream, being a consultant. He was like, all right, I got something for you. I got this company I'm starting up. Uh, at that time, it was 2013. Because mm-hmm. he had started the company in 2010. He's the founder and chief visionary officer, as he likes to call himself, for our world. And uh, so he started in 2010, but at that time, you know, it was just two or three people over there with him. Well, actually, it was just two. It was my good friend, Ronnie, uh, who was over there with him. And, and then a lady named April came on. So uh, he told me that he was starting a company, he has a project coming up, and he's going to keep in contact with me. Then he asked me how much I made an hour at different use. I said, $25 an hour. He said, man, you need to keep that job. <laughs> 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 so um so that was kind of cool and uh you know but the internship ended in may and they actually ended up offering me a job later on down the road but the internship ended in may and i uh shoot i just didn't want to start working so i started bugging the crap out of mike like mike you need to get me over there yeah. so i bugged him so much to the point where i ended up um, i took another free job <laughs> <laughs> so right. he brought me over there and, and really uh I honestly would just sit around a little bit and he'd just take take me wherever he went. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, Man, this is the coolest experience I ever had in my life. So April, Ronnie and Mike, it was four of us and I started there in May of twenty thirteen. And um basically I'm like, what is this? What is project management? What are you, what are you trying to do? I don't even get it. I never heard of project management. Uh, so I, I was able to learn from him and, and learn from uh, April and running the people there at the time about what's going on. And uh, I mean, and then it really was like the firm just skyrocketed. Uh, we 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 got. We were able to acquire the project that he was telling me about in the beginning. He started paying me a little bit of money, like, I don't know, like $12, $13 an hour. I was super excited because I, at that time, I had got married. I had a baby on the way, everything. So it was just crazy. I was living on a campus, a university in Memphis, and like family, student housing. It was just like a lot of things. Which I, cause I got married at a super young age. How old compared to so I was 22. I was okay. 22 years old when I got married. I turned 23 the, the following week. Uh, so I got married on July 14th. 
and then my birthday's on July 23rd. So coming up is an anniversary and a uh, and a birthday. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I had the little baby on the way. And I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do. My wife, really, she was in school, too. We both were in school. So I ended up graduating uh, that year, 2013, in, in December. And I just, you know, kept working. And we kept grinding. I, should I be at the office late night listening to Mike or working with Mike or, you know, telling Mike what to do sometimes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> And he just be looking at me like, boy, you don't know what you're talking about. But, it, 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 I mean, it's been an awesome experience because what I found out through my journey is that I like to attach myself to mentors, which is the same reason why I um, went around to talk to all those partners at the CPA firm and yeah. why I continue to, you know, look up to Mike and listen to him and some of the other individuals in my life, like my uh, pastor and some other people. Like because I feel like I've I've been able to shorten my learning curve and, and, and kind of get to where I want to go a little bit faster because of the relationships that I build with others and the advice that I've taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, some you know, so I, I've been able to just utilize those skills and, and, and make sure that I wasn't making either the same mistake or. Um, like taking where I would make sure I did take the same path because you you can kind of learn both ways but my personal preference is learning the like I really don't like to, for people to tell me or not tell me but I really don't like the advice where it's like don't do this don't do this because this will mess me up because it's just like I can't say I, I should do something because you couldn't do it shouldn't do it or didn't do it or whatever I like the advice from the mentors like alright this how I got here and that typically helped me a lot more than the 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 reverse. Right. And uh, so I, I I latched on to the things that I could, and you know just pretty much went from there. I uh, went from I guess an intern to, at All World to being a part of just showing that I have strong work ethic and I I, I you know I can hold my own in a room by myself like I was just so blessed to be in those rooms with executives at like 22 and at yeah. first I wouldn't really say anything honestly I'd just be listening like what are they thinking about why are they <laughs> thinking about it like that I don't even understand what they're talking about because uh, the project that Mike ended up telling me about is really a cool project and one of the best projects that we have uh, at our firm at the, to date it was called it is called SARP Team it's a sewer assessment and rehabilitation program. And pretty much all the services that we provide at our firm, we implement on that one project. Now, we don't do that on every project. We might provide one service on this project and another service on that project. But primarily all the services that we encompass at our world, we combine on that one project. For example, uh, myself, I participated on the project as a contract manager and a procurement specialist. So uh, there were some legal requirements with the EPA saying, hey, you got to, you know, abide by these terms and conditions. So I, I got really good at reviewing contracts and making sure that we were compliant with the different terms and conditions. But we also offer engineering and construction management on that project. Okay. where our engineers are over there and they are um, pretty much 
looking at the system, evaluating it and say, all right, this is the high priority area that we need to fix. So I was able to, you know, see different parts of the city just throughout this program. We also offer GIS, which is geographical information systems. And I tell people about that, and they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> All right, so you probably like that, but it's really just digital mapping. You think about uh, your iPhone, right? Right. So when you go to your pictures on your iPhone and you go to uh, the map on your phone, you can see each location where you took those photos. Mm-hmm. If you if you just go to the map portion of your photos, and that's basically what it is. It's geotagging information on a map and it, so on excuse me the maps we built for the city of memphis who has been an awesome client uh for us throughout their program and some other projects that we participated on um we have built these cool digital maps which they came there so the city of memphis they had paper maps which is not good for operation and maintenance of those uh, of the system we digitized those maps, or we assisted with the digitization. That's how you say it. Digitization <laughs> of, <laughs> of those uh, of the of those maps, and so yeah. yeah, for the city, we 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 digitized the maps, and and basically. Uh, we have inspectors over there who are in the field, making sure that the contractors who are completing the work out there are safe and complying with whatever terms and conditions that they have to uh, be compliant with. And I mean, it's just been it's been great. I mean, we we developed a workforce development program, a mentor protege. I mean, so some of these things are, are like really really unique because. I participate on other programs and they don't have that. For example, we've, we've, uh, we created a green team where we went out to reentry programs, uh, people basically, people who went to jail and getting out and they trying to reenter into the workforce. We went to those reentry programs, we went to Job Corps and some other workforce, like, uh, WIN, Workforce Investment Networks, and other institutions and organizations around the city to help job employment. We built a green team, which was uh, a canvassing program, but also an introduction into the sanitary sewer world, mm-hmm. which is, like, I did not know this, but it's a lot of money in the sewer. Um, is it? Like, cause, yes, because it's construction, and, and, you know, construction is, like, you, you really... Yeah, because, I mean, you don't even have to put it like this. You don't have to have a college degree at all. All you have to have is a high school degree, and you could be making $100,000 in the sewer industry. Wow. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, and you, you, but I mean, you have to work your way up, of course, but wastewater treatment plant operator, those people wait, make $100,000 easy, like easy. Wow. No college degree. All you have to do is, you know, just work your way up. You can start off making Twenty uh, uh, $20 an hour. Easy. Yeah. You know what? So That's what something we... good for people to know on this podcast that are trying to figure things out right now, considering, you know, the climate that we're in right now with so much unemployment and things of that nature. Right. Wow. So I totally agree. Uh, and like I said, you would be surprised. You really would be surprised. Yeah. Um, you know what, Brett, I'm glad you're able to break down, you know, all about all world project management, because I'm sure 
people have been wondering what are some of the projects that you guys work on. You know, we hear the name, we see you guys on social media and in the media in general, but I'm glad you're able to break down some of the projects that you guys uh, participate in. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, just listening to you talk about your life and, you know, you're relatively a young black African-American <laughs> and you've had many positions so far in leadership. So what I want to know from you, you know, how has your age and race affected your business endeavor endeavors? So what have been some of your challenges and opportunities considering your age and race? Man, so you know what? I'm super glad that you asked me that because that's really, I was thinking about like what have been some of the tougher times in my life and what kind of lessons have I learned over. Because I know, you know, I just been kind of just trying to pre plan about what, how this conversation would go. I know. And that was the thing that I went to. <laughs> and that actually, like my age uh, and race were the two things that I went to when I was like, these are, these have been some super tough moments because, I mean, so I'm 30 now and mm. I'm still fairly young to be an executive for a company, to be in the rooms with some of these people, uh, because most of the time the average age of an executive is about 50. Like, so the people mm. I'm around, they're like twice, well, not twice my age, but at least, at a minimum, 15 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So then we employ people who are older than me. So it's like, man, I got to tell these older folks what to do, but they like my mama age. So mm -hmm. are they going to listen to me? Are they going to respect it? So in, initially, uh, I was nervous about it. It was hard. Like I just, I really tried to, uh, one, just listen and, and just be respectful. But then two, I had to, I, the main thing was I had to prove myself with my work ethic. I think that if you lead by example and show, hey, I'm I'm going to be here, I'm going to get in the trenches, I'm going to get dirty, and I'm going to work, but not only am I going to work, my work product is going to be legit. Like So through through advancing myself through education, that kind of helped a little bit. When you don't have the years of experience of others, I found that, uh, just from listening to mentors, at least they told me like, look, just go get your education, and then they can't they can't take away what you know. Right. So I'm proving myself through education. So I kept getting these certifications and stuff like that. But then uh, I just tried to be respectful and and just listen. But then sometimes you have to put your foot down too, and just yes. like like, nah, you you're not right about this. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. And it took a little bit of time, but you really, honestly, it's a confidence thing. Not to say I didn't have confidence, but I had to build more confidence right. because I've always been a uh, pretty, it let my friends say it, I've always been a very confident guy. <laughs> but, uh -huh. Mr. Uh, Alpha Psi. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, uh, I uh, just took the time and I, I just talked to mentors. I, I read books on leadership, things of that nature, like uh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm -hmm. uh, Rockefeller Habits. Uh, uh, I just read a bunch of books, really. It was and tried to implement uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, innovate, like Innovators DNA, just all these different yeah. books. I just keep reading books and try to take away the things that I could take away and implement them. Some things worked, honestly, and some things didn't work. Uh, yeah. But being black, I uh, 
honestly, I thought it was cool because I was, I was like, man, I'm young black dude in the, in the room. Like, I mean, a lot of times, like, even at Vanderbilt, so I ended up going to Vanderbilt. I graduated from uh, there last year, and I got an executive MBA. I literally was the only black dude in my cohort. Wow. Uh, so I was in a global program. And and we traveled to about five different countries. I went to Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, and Canada. And it was this traveling group. I'm talking about I went to these different countries and barely saw black people in those countries. So I had to really just kind of be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And and I, that's why, like in the beginning, I said I was blessed that my mom threw me into these opportunities at an early age because... I wasn't afraid of being the only black dude because it, it was like I went to NUS and it really wasn't that many black folks there. So I, had, right. I, was, I, I gained that comfortability. And then, uh, you know, places like UT Knox or uh, like this little Phillips Exeter was a boarding school, summer camp type thing where we did uh, physics, algebra, robotics. At a, at like I was like 15, 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was like, there weren't no black people there either. So it was like, I was thrown in these situations. Mm-hmm. But you just have to just know your worth. And uh, like I said, my it was one thing that stuck with me too from my dad. He he told me, he, like when I was born in MUS, now that was the most uncomfortable situation as far as being a black person uh, around a bunch of non-black people, because before that, I went to Kirby Middle, and it was all black kids over there. Right. So, Big culture <laughs> shock. Yeah, I went to the U.S., I was like, what is going on over here? And these weren't no regular white kids either. These was the white kids of executives of these companies, so they was talking about stuff that I ain't never even thought about. Mm. Like, I'm talking about, they talking about politics. I'm like, I don't care about that. I'm trying to, you know, go to the gym or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so, I, I, I learned how to adapt to those situations. And uh, I just, you know, after a while, I don't even, I didn't even think it mattered that much. It did. It was just like, once she showed that you were knowledgeable uh, you were respectful and you, you cared about yourself and your community. People typically would generally try to be reciprocate that same energy. And I feel like energy is a, a good way to, you know, make the environment better. If you have a positive energy, you go into a situation with an open mindset and you remain positive. Typically the people around you, and this isn't 100% of the time, but typically, People like that energy will transfer from you to them, and they'll they'll reciprocate. They'll be like, "All right, we'll 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 embrace you. We'll we'll yeah. talk to you. We'll we'll hang out with you, and things like that." So at Vanderbilt, it was pretty much the same experience. They, you know, I built some great relationships. We we traveled around the country, and we we hung out. I, I still talk to those uh, classmates almost every day now, and that was a whole year ago. So wow. Um, that's yeah, so I just had to try my best to, you know, just remain positive about it. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been listening to you say over the podcast so far is that you've always been a person to build relationships. And, you know, these relationship building um, endeavors, they're so important because, you know, we're in an age right now of social media 
and um, uh, technology and a lot of people, you know, on the computer, um, not meeting face to face. But, you know, to me, you seem to have an old school spirit with wanting to do more face to face relationship building, which I think is so important. And um, Mm -hmm. that leads me into this question, Brent. Uh, Now, you come from a long legacy of (laughs) racial justice activism of course, yeah. you know, we've all heard about uh, Benjamin Hooks and all of his mm-hmm. efforts in your lineage. Now, what I want to know from you, Brent, is how do you see yourself carrying the torch of racial justice activism? Oh, that's a good one. All right, so my thing is, um, I feel I, my perspective of activism and things of that nature have really been geared towards civic engagement at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel like that if we want to at least start making a change, we need to be civically engaged. And what I mean by civically engaged is try to change some of these policies. I mean, a lot of the times, you know, if we can implement good policy and hold people accountable for those policies, then we'll start, you know, basically it was a policy that, and it's not even that old, just over 50 years, black people, I wonder what year was it? 1965 or something like that. Black people was not able to vote. It's, 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 it's not that, it's not that, it's not that long ago, 60 years, I guess now. Uh, but it, um, so that was a policy. So they changed their policy and then black people were able to vote uh, or women were able to vote in the 20s or something like that. So I'm I'm focusing on trying to get people out, not voting for black, white, polka dot, pinstripe or Republican or Democratic. I'm just trying to get them out to, to the polls. And if you got an issue, I, and, I, and, I, and I apply, honestly, all of the movement that's going on right now because it's necessary but if you want to make more uh, 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 a more if you want to make more of an impact i would say go to the polls that's yeah. the second thing i you know what i'm saying you you already in the streets letting them know you care you already ready to if you mad enough you ready to tear some shit up right. so <laughs> so if you know what i mean so now it's time to go to the polls uh you know, I was blessed enough to be a part of a group of individuals who led a millennial voter rally in 2014. We we had a bunch of people out there. It was it was fun, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I I was able to produce a documentary called Why Not Vote. It had like over 20,000 views on YouTube. And that was cool because that was you know that because I love being in like media or not in the media, but like I love producing media or being involved with media production because I, I just think it's cool. Um, but I, I, I encourage people to get civically engaged. And even right now, to, at this very moment, mm-hmm. uh, we're building a, 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 a app uh, which a person can search their name or their address and they'll be able to find their voting history and their voting location. So, the campaign that we are thinking about is not solidified, but friends don't let friends not vote. Uh, I like that. And, 
Yeah, so we we we've been working very very diligently. It's super cool. You can uh, and then, like I said, it's an map because you know the platform is GIS based or uh, geographical information system based, and you can see it very visually. It's it's a it's a really cool application that I'm super proud to be a part of, and um, you know so I, I think I'm, I'm I'm there with it. I think I'm just. Uh, really trying to encourage the people who have been considered disenfranchised or either disengaged to get out there and get engaged because, because I mean, the bulk of the individuals who are out there protesting are millennials. Yes. But then you look at the millennial voter statistics and they are the worst. And they why are absolutely is the worst. Why is and, that? Uh, Brent, why do you think it's that way? We see the millennials out here protesting, but when it comes time to go to the polls, they're the smaller percentage. Why do you think that? I don't think it's one reason. I think it's a, a few reasons. One, uh, I mean, apathy, I think is one big reason. And being apathetic, meaning they, they really just don't care. You know what I mean? Uh, they just, they were like, oh, man, I don't need to vote. And I think the second reason is trust. Uh, a lot of people don't trust the system. They don't believe that their vote counts, but it, it does. And then, um, you know, I I think some people just really I think those are probably the two main reasons. I guess apathetic, don't care, and uh, just don't trust. And I can see why the they system. don't trust because we've already seen a, a few elections stolen. Like I, I can see where their distrust comes from. But I agree with you by uh, people being more civically engaged because right now, both locally and nationally. We have to get to the polls because I think the the main way that we'll make this change is systematically. So we got to encourage everybody to do their research on these opponents, like you said. Yeah. Like just because they Democrat don't mean that's what you go for. You have to do your research on these people because right. I mean it just feels like you know the climate right now is of change and. Now is the time to strike. So I agree with you on getting these people to the polls. Now, Brent, I want you to give these budding entrepreneurs such as yourself some advice. What kind of advice do you have for everyone who, you know, that that may be attempting to impact change and uh, become an entrepreneur such as yourself? All right, I got three pieces of advice for a budding entrepreneur. The first thing is learn to use and leverage technology. Technology is the way. <laughs> if you know how to use technology, you're going to be ahead of the game. I was just listening to a discussion yesterday, uh, a, a big international review of what's going on and what makes uh, some of these nations competitive and uh, there are two things that they talked about. They talked about infrastructure and they talked about technology. Mm. So, you know, if you if you understand technology and the changes that, that are coming with technology, as you can see through this pandemic, uh, the school system is changing, mm. the work environment is changing, we're moving in more uh, digital solutions to meeting and uh, sharing information. So learn, learn to use and leverage technology. Second thing is find a mentor. Mentors will shorten your learning curve. You, if you find someone who has done what you're trying to do and been where you're trying to go, you know, talk with them, pick their brain, uh, 
one, they can give you advice, but two, you can help them. I've learned, like, don't don't try to make a mentorship a one-way situation because you can get your mentor game, too. And that's what I've been trying to do. I was like, all right, you know about that, (laughs) but I know about this. And and, and it's a two-way street. So make sure that once you find a mentor, see how you can be a value add to them because that's important. You don't want to be just someone who's using somebody for whatever reason. You want to be able to be a value add in any relationship. That's a part of a good relationship building. And then two, uh, three, I would say just continue to just get your education. I feel like any entrepreneur needs to be educated. Uh, you, you want to know the general practices and the best practices to go about operating and um, just generally have the the fundamentals down pat. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's some simple stuff that if you try to go out there and do it on your own, you might not know. But if you had, uh, you know, the education, whether it's formal or informal, like I'm not saying that you necessarily need to go get a five-year, six-year, well, I guess I don't even know they had it, but get a four-year degree. Uh, but... I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm saying you need, like, read books. They, they, I mean, or, you know, get a certification. Any of it. Just continue to educate yourself and make sure that you uh, are knowledgeable about the activities that you're about to pursue. Yeah, and you mentioned quite a few books earlier in the pod. Uh, if you could recommend three books, what would be the top three recommendations you would have for budding entrepreneurs? Oh, let me see what I have in my Kindle real quick. So, I mean, I would say Think and Grow Rich would be probably number one because that, that was kind of one of my first ones I read a long time ago. Ditto. I uh, read that one a while ago. Uh, I would say Think and Grow Rich. I would, I would say uh, Rockefeller Habits. Uh, that was a good one. I would say um, Rich Dad for Dad because that was a good one. That 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 definitely had me thinking very entrepreneurial. I would say that was probably my top three that I can just think of. Top, the the Four Agreements is a good one. Uh, let's see. I heard about the Four Agreements. Yeah, it's that, a really cool book. I, it's not it's not that long. The Richest Man in Babylon is a good one. Um, the Art of War it talks about strategy that's a good one most, I'm, now I'm looking most of my books about real estate <laughs> some of my books about real estate so I mean if you're into real estate you can read uh, the um, oh, the Millionaire Mind is a good one uh, but you can read Crushing It and um, Crushing It in Commercial Real Estate and Apartments that's a good one I mean, it's a number of books out there. It's like it's so many. I'm trying to pick, just pick the ones that aren't like if I if I read to you in my list, you're like, what is boy reading? <laughs> it's probably a diverse list, but I think the yeah. ones that you recommended are are pretty yeah. good. I've read quite a few cool. of them. Um, but at this time, Brent, now I didn't did my research on you and. I know you got some rap skills. Now, don't act like uh, you look, don't I have no rap skills. I heard. <laughs> I'm not going to be on this podcast. I... 
You know I'm trying to get you to give me a few bars for the people of the verbally effective audience. Just a few bars. Uh-uh. No. Like I, I, I would, but then, but then what? I would never live this down with my homies. Like, that is not. See, your homies want to hear your skills, Brent. I know you got a good, good, good. You can go and draw me about, about five bars. Nah, what about a, a, a couple of bars? Just a little something. Man, I gotta be in the zone. This ain't even. I'm in my professional zone right now. Oh wow, Brent! <laughs> well, I'm gonna get you to. Uh, I mean, I like shoot. We if we together, we hanging out, and I hear instrumental. I promise you, I can freestyle. I ain't. Okay. I'm, I'm straight. Like okay. I promise you, I'm straight. But but I don't know. This this ain't the. This not the environment for me right now. I want to romance. Okay, well, I'm gonna catch you. I'm gonna catch you out in these pandemic streets one day when we can all <laughs> join together again. I'm gonna catch you out here, and I'm gonna have my recorder on me, and I'm gonna get them rap skills. But Brent, I got you. but Brent, I, I, I definitely appreciate you for joining me on the verbally effective podcast today. You shared so much knowledge and wisdom at such a relatively young age. That just lets you know that you know some of these people out here that are listening that are trying to figure it out that they can do anything that they put their mind to and i appreciate you for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey with us oh thank you so much honestly i'm very very honored i've been listening to your podcast for a while now and i like you said we've supported it uh, yes. Just by you having some events over at our office, but I mean, you got a dope ass podcast. I really like your podcast, and I encourage you to keep, you know, going strong and keep working with other podcasters out there and teaching them all the uh, skills that you've learned over the time period that you've been in media. And I mean, I wish you many blessings. I really appreciate you. Definitely. Thank you so much, Brent Hooks. I'm going to get you on them bars very soon. But you are indeed verbally effective, Brent. Thank you so much. Thank you.